Okay, turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. And we are going to continue along the same path we've been on. Uh, we're doing a, a series called The Fellowship of the Holy. We're talking about what we were made for, what we were created for. Created for intimacy with God. Ephesians 2 is kind of the, the base scripture we've been working from. And I'm just going to pick up with these thoughts. I kind of laid some foundational ideas, but I'm not going to go back through that <clears throat> from the last few weeks. But let's just look again here at Ephesians 2. There's so many wonderful verses in the scripture. I mean, I, I want to just invite you to, when you find a verse that strikes your heart, rather than rushing through so you can get your, you know, five chapters read that day or whatever, when you get a verse that strikes your heart, just stop and just read it again and say it and pray it and, and let, it, let it move you. The scripture is living and it's active and it's sharp. And if you'll allow it, it will move your heart. It will touch you deeply. It will shift the way you think. It will fill your soul with light, with life. And uh, it is powerful to transform you. The way, the way that you perceive God, the way you perceive yourself, others, it's so powerful. So often we're so interested in reading through the Bible and this long and that long. And I know there's good plans and that, that's very helpful to get the storyline. I'm for that. But I, I, man, I'm also for slowing it way down. And just giving the proper consideration to these things. There's so many verses that are so rich. I'm gonna, the reason I'm saying that is I'm, I'm looking across the verses I'm about to share this morning. And I'm going, oh, that's my favorite verse. Oh, oh, that's my favorite verse. Well, that one, that's my favorite verse. <laughs> I feel like all of them are my favorite verse. Because they're so, they're so rich. Okay. Ephesians 2, let's just look at this. This is my first favorite verse of the day. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, because of his great love with which he loved us, he did two things. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. That's his grace. That's the by grace you've been saved. Even when we are dead. By grace, you've been saved. He made you alive. And then verse six, and then he did this other thing. He didn't just make us alive. He raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is a mouthful. Verse 6 and 7, they need way more examination and consideration than, than a, a hundred messages. I mean, they just need to be a banner on your soul that you live in view, you live your days in view of them. Here's who you are. As a believer in Jesus, you were one that was dead, which is what he gives us in the first three verses of Ephesians 2. You were one that walked according to the influence of the devil, is what the scripture says. But in Christ, he's made you alive. He's caused new life to come in you. 
And then he seated you with Jesus in the heavenly places where Jesus is seated. Now, where is Jesus seated? It's not a trick question. The right hand of the Father. Okay? You are also seated in Jesus or with Jesus at that right hand of the Father. Now at his right hand are pleasures evermore. In his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. So in the Spirit you are seated in what I like to call the pleasure epicenter of all created order. (laughs) The right hand of God. And this, beloved, is in a nutshell the point of the story. The point of the story of creation is he's summarizing it right there, as he does in other places. Romans 5, he does it there. But what he's saying is this my version God made men, and though men hated God, God loved them. And so because God is so gracious, he made him alive so he could accomplish what he had always intended for men. And that was for men to be in fellowship with God. Not just as slaves or, or, you know, like the example I've been using is like the child with the puppy, you know, we're God's puppy now or something like that. But what God does He doesn't just make us, you know, servants. He actually opens the door of the fellowship that the Trinity has been sharing for eternity. There's perfection in God from eternity past, perfection of love, perfection of beauty, perfection of pleasure. And what God does in Jesus is he doesn't just forgive your sins and make you alive. He actually does this thing that's just... It just messes with my mind because this is my status today and it will be like this forever because of the blood of Jesus and his power in me. But my status is as one who's been given entrance and fellowship with the divine, with the holy. You and I have an open door a fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You're seated with him in heavenly places. That perfect, unbroken fellowship that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit shared from everlasting and will share it for everlasting. He's done, the, in my mind, the craziest thing. It's the greatest thing, it's, but it's the craziest thing. He didn't just make you to make you stand afar off and he sort of high-fives you from a distance. He makes you... He creates humanity so he can fling the door of fellowship that he's sharing. He can fling that door open and invite you right in. That's called seated in heavenly places in Christ. Because of his great love, that's what the verse says, because of his great love with which he's loved you, because of the richness of his mercy, He's opened the door of fellowship and brought you right in that you would fellowship with the Father and with the Son and the Spirit in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Spirit fellowship together. Seated in heavenly places. Most of the time I've heard that verse, it's been taught 
from a position where they're trying to say you have authority because you're seated in heavenly places. You can start beating up demons. And, and I, do, I do agree with that, that there is authority that believers have. But this verse is not primarily speaking about your authority. This verse is primarily speaking about your eternal destiny and where you are today and God's eternal purpose as it relates to you. And that was about this. He wanted you in. (laughs) He wanted you in. Ephesians 1, he says it over there where he says he wanted you to be before him in love, blameless, flowing in relationship with the Father, flowing in relationship with the Son. So that has so many implications. And I go, why would you do such a thing, God? Well, he bookends that, those few verses, he bookends it with the reasons. In verse four, he says, I would do it because I'm rich in mercy. I'm rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Do you know the God that is so merciful, so rich in mercy? This is the way he thinks about you. This is the way he thinks about the lost. This is the way he thinks about the person that drives you nuts. Mercy. It's very difficult for you to get agreement with God in your bad attitude about someone else. Because he's merciful, regardless of who they are. See, we have a wrong idea about mercy. We imagine mercy is when you just do something nice for somebody that they didn't, you know, earn. No, 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 no. Mercy is about they have to do you wrong first so that you can then be merciful. They deserve judgment, but you give them mercy. That means they've done you wrong, so then you can therefore extend kindness. You don't even get to start doing mercy until somebody does you wrong. Hello. So God, who we've done really wrong, it's awesome. He's rich in mercy. Oh, he's rich in mercy. Oh, I'm so thankful he's rich in mercy. Because this isn't about how cool I am. If this were about, if, if me being sitting in heavenly places had to do with how cool or how good I am, never, no, no couldn't, it, uh, it wouldn't happen. That would be a crash and burn real fast. This is about his mercy. He, he goes, I'm giving you the reason why, I, why I'm seating you in heavenly places, why I've opened the door of fellowship into the holy. Here's the reason. I'm rich in mercy. Because I do mercy. I love to do mercy. When Moses, when the Lord declares his name to Moses, the first proclamation of the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. Oh, that's, a, oh, that's the one I love. Thank you that you're merciful. Rich in mercy. He goes, let me give you another reason. Because of my great love with which I've loved you. He goes, you don't get it. I am burning for you. I am so in love with you. I desire you so much. I want to be with you so much. I want to flow and have a relationship with you so much. I would do the unthinkable. I would throw open the door of fellowship that I've shared with my son and with the spirit in perfection and bring you in. I like you so much. Come on in and have a seat. (laughs) 
I mean, have you ever sat next to a nuclear reactor? You ever gone right up to a live volcano spewing lava and just sat down? Hey, I like this. Have you ever taken a seat next to the sun? Now you have. Seated in heavenly places in Christ. Do you have any comprehension of what you've been brought into? No, they're looking at it, they're going, no. I go, me neither. But this sounds good. And I want it. That's what I'm saying. We gotta camp out on these verses and go, what in the world is this? Seated in heavenly places? What are those places? Well, one for sure is right there next to the throne of glory. The epicenter of power, pleasure, light, beauty, fire. Oh, you're seated there in the spirit. Start your day that way. It will make every bad day good, I promise. Well, you, you are there, so you should just meditate on it and get your mind there as well and get your heart there. And then you go, man, it really doesn't matter if everything goes wrong today because I'm seated there. You live in view of that. So life is but a vapor. It's but a moment. This life is but a moment. It's going to be over before you know it. Oh, it'll be over before you know it. This is who you are forever. Why would you do such a thing? It's because I am so in love. I'm so merciful and I'm so in love and I'm so in love with you and my mercy is compelling me and my love is burning and yearning in me because I'm zealous for you and I would do such a thing because I want you in. So therefore I've made you alive. I've raised you up and seated you with my son in the fellowship of the holy. And I go, you know, by the time you got to the end of that sentence and you said what you'd done, I've totally forgot why you would do it. He goes, fine, verse seven. Why would you do it again? He goes, so that in the ages to come, I might show the surpassing riches of my grace and kindness toward you. Anybody ever like, I mean, (laughs) gotten like really gotten revelation of the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness I don't I can't tell you I really know what that means but I know for sure it means something like God is going to be really 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 times a billion nice to you for a long time as his main thing as his main thing. Why would you do this? I'm burning in love. I'm full of mercy. And I want to be nice to you in a big way forever. (sighs) Okay, I'm in. (laughs) Like that's not hard to say yes to. That's real easy to say yes to. That's called fellowship With the holy, you've been given entrance because of God's love for you. If you're in Christ, this is who you are. I started thinking about that. See, that has so many implications. 
it changes our picture and our perspective on stuff like our earthly calling. I said last week, I went the entire New Testament, I read every verse that says calling and purpose, and one thing that they all have in common is that they're not about our calling or our purpose. All of them are about his calling and his purpose. I hope some of you took me up of it and went back in your Bible program and looked calling and read them all because it's clear as a bell. Every verse in the New Testament that says calling and or purpose is about his calling and his purpose that we are called with. We are called with his calling in mind, with his purpose in mind. We all together have one hope of our corporate calling. And what's it saying? It's not saying that that there aren't gifts and and things that we get to do in Christ. Because right there in Ephesians it says that he created us in Christ for good works which he prepared beforehand uh, in the ages to come that we should walk in them. He's already got all sorts of good works that you get to get to walk in with God in this age. There's all sorts of fun, cool stuff you get to do with God. That's fun. But it's not the highest picture, the highest revelation of your calling. And most people, they've dialed their calling into some little job they get to do for the next, you know, 30 years. They've dialed their calling into, you know, some little ministry effort or some, you know, job thing that's finite and just in this age now i tell you what god is brilliant he'll take our little job and 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 he'll invite us to do it and we partner with him in it and we go yes lord he goes this is fun by my spirit by my grace i'm going to enable you and and empower you to do such a thing we get to do such a thing and he will have it will have massive cool implications on it for instance 12 people show up on friday night and get born again Come on, that's a good implication for me saying yes to like my job, like showing up and loving Jesus and talking about Jesus and bam, people get saved. Really good. But that's not my main deal. Leading IHOP is not my main deal, it's not. Because if leading IHOP goes well and I identify myself and my calling is, is mainly about me leading IHOP, if it goes well, I feel good. If it goes bad, I feel, oh. We so have attached our identity to our calling in this life. We've imagined that our whole calling is what we do in this life. And we've, we've identified ourselves with how our calling goes. Let me tell you something. Your whole calling is not about what you do in this life. This is a moment. You have an eternal calling. You have an eternal purpose. It's according to God's eternal calling and God's eternal purpose. And what is it? Well, part of it has to do with you being in fellowship with the, the, divini- uh, the Trinity. You're called in one hope. And one calling we have together. Called according to his purpose. Eternal purposes that he has in Christ. We have that calling together. We have this purpose together. Fellowshipping with God. One of the main facets of his purpose is creating people to fellowship with him. That's one of the main facets of his purpose. And he's got eternal purposes that he kind of leaves the blanks out there on. He just purposes, plural, multiple things. He does chess on 10 different levels. You know, we see through a glass darkly. He gives us a piece of it. But for sure, one of the main facets as he relates it to us in the scripture is he makes people to have relationship with them, period. So that in the ages to come, he can be really, 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 really nice to you. Like this is what he's into. So in Revelation, we get this phrase, kingdom of priests. That shows up in the book of Revelation. Peter quotes 
Moses says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. John, in the book of Revelation, uses the same idea and, and repackages it and says, you are a kingdom of priests. Everybody say, kingdom of priests. Say it again, kingdom of priests. That's, I, that is a very succinct explanation of your calling. To be a kingdom of priests. He's using priest language to describe someone who has access to the throne of God. You and your eternal calling has to do with your access to the throne of God. Don't belittle your calling by making it about some little job you get to do. Your calling is so much more grand than that. You have access to the throne of the uncreated God. You have been granted the ability, the opportunity, I should say, to come in and out and flow in fellowship with the divine. You get to be friends with deity. It doesn't get better than that, gang. Flowing in perfect friendship and love with deity. That's what a kingdom of priests is about. And it's not just the, the uh, mechanics of being a priest. See, a, a priest, we see that one that has access to the throne or access to the presence. But here's the thing. Angels also have access to the throne, but they aren't a kingdom of priests. You are. What's the difference? The difference is you have access, yes, to the throne room, but you have access also inside the throne. You have access to the heart of God. That's kingdom of priests plus. So Revelation 1, verse 5, it says that, he, he, again, here's John. He's sort of saying the same thing that, that Paul was saying. Second part of, of verse 5, he says, To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, he made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. That's about being seated in heavenly places. A kingdom of priests, access to the throne and the emotions of God. Why? Because he loved us. Because he loved us, he freed us from his sin, or from our sins. To do what? To have access to his throne and to his heart. What would happen? What would happen to the church if she actually realized her greatest calling and her greatest identity as as one who is accepted, beloved, and has access. And she lived from that place instead of this striving in some, you know, human purpose to try to somehow, you know, get God's approval or get men's approval or get some human platform. Look, you don't need a platform. You know why? You already got the biggest platform there is. You got the best platform there is. It's called the Sea of Glass. Before the throne of God. Y'all aren't hearing me. You're just not. I mean, come on. You have the best platform there is. The sea of glass. <laughs> Thank you, sister. She's trying to help me out. Okay, let's just, here we go. All right, so. 
You have the best title already, accepted in the beloved. You have the best platform already, the sea of glass. You've got the best friends anybody can have, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't have to strive. You're in. And you're enabled. There's grace and favor. And you're flowing in love. And there's pleasure and power. Fellowship with the holy. You're a kingdom of priests. Access to his presence and access to his emotions. Don't belittle your calling by simply seeing it only as some job you do in this life. Whatever your calling is in this age, I promise you, it's just the training program. It's the training program, beloved. All right, you guys still with me? All right. Now look at this. You got to look at these verses. It's my third favorite verse of the day. Revelation 21. Turn over there. Talking to you about your eternal calling and your eternal identity. So you see yourself in that way because when you begin to see yourself through those lenses, the way that you live in this life makes way more sense in the kingdom. Way more sense in the kingdom. You don't get hung up on passing things and looking to, you know, politics or, or whatever, human institutions to try to make things right. You get a picture of your status in God. You get a picture of the fellowship that you share with God. And from there, you begin to live life in this age. That's why Paul could say freely, I can do whatever. I can be a base or I can abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He goes, you know what? I'd rather depart and be with Christ, but it's more profitable for you if I stay here. So I'll just hang around for a bit. You're a stranger. You're an alien. You're passing through. This place is not your home. You weren't made to just dwell in time and in finiteness. You were made for eternity. You were made for pleasure. You were made for God. You were made to flow with God in love. You were made to flow back and forth and to drink of the mercies of the Lord and the grace and the favor of God forever. He constructed you to be able to be a receptor of his kindness and grace for the ages to come. You have a capacity to receive the goodness of God that you don't even know about yet. You've not even scratched the surface. Oh, it's where we're heading, man. We are heading to a place. Oh, I'm not just talking about going there. I'm talking about our, the, our status of being. This thing is going to get really, really good. You're made for more than this. So you live in this age with that lens. And all of a sudden, the way you treat people is different. The way you do life is different. The way you work is different. Your work is under the Lord. Thank you, God, for my mean boss. He's teaching me to be meek. You know, you just live differently. Thank you, God, for this challenge. It's causing my arrogance to come to the surface. I repent of that. Thank you, Lord, for liking me enough to not leave me in my junk. (laughs) He loves you so much, he's not going to leave you as you are. He's making you a comparable partner for his son. You and I, we look in the mirror and we go, whoa, we got a long way to go. 
in a short time to get there. He goes, no problem. I put fire. He goes, I use something called fire. It burns all the impurities out. It's like, Lord, I, I don't mind your refining process, but did you have to use like the, the flamethrower on me? You know, did you have to put me in a microwave? I'm just getting baked over here. He goes, I like you so much. I'm going to cook it all out of you. Your problem's probably not with that person. Your problem's probably not with your situation. Your problem's probably not with anybody or anything you think it is. Your problem's probably with God. And it's not really a problem. He just goes, I like you, so I'm not going to let you walk around with that huge zit. I'm just going to take care of that for you. Because I like you. I'm beautifying you. Because you and I are going to get to fellowship for a long time. Look at this. Revelation 21. Oh, this one will just make you cry. Oh, I love this. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, There it is, the divine voila. Behold. Here's a big one. The tabernacle of God is with men. We have a thousand years coming where Jesus will rule the planet. That's hard for us to see. This is speaking of the age after that. Paul describes it ages to come. There's multiple ages coming. This one describes the age after the next. This is after the millennial reign of Christ. The tabernacle of God, the abode of God is coming to dwell with men. That's what it says. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. People want to talk about going to heaven. I'm telling you, heaven is coming to earth. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them. And be their God. Every veil is going away. Every veil is going away. God himself is going to be with his people. The father is coming. The son is coming. The end of this age for a bride. I want to say it this way. The father is coming at the end of the next age for a family. (laughs) Just tweak you. We might as well just go, you know, we'll just go uh, extraterrestrial today. Yeah, the father is called the one who was, who is, and who is to come. (laughs) We prepare the earth in this age as forerunners for the return of the son. The son prepares the earth in the next age for the father to come and dwell among his people. (laughs) Jesus is coming for a bride. The father is coming for a family. He will be their God. He will dwell with them. Look what the father is like. Look what he's like. Look at verse 4. What's, it, what's his first job going to be? He's going to wipe away tears from people's eyes. <laughs> what is the dad's first job? What is the eternal father? The first thing he does, he goes, come here, you little sugar booger. Let's get rid of those tears. Daddy's here. 
What's the first thing he's going to do? I mean, and he's going to thunder with fire and lightning and... No. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know how tender he is? Let me tell you something, Dad. You can't be syrupy enough with your kids. Because the eternal father is so compassionate and kind. When he shows up, he's going to wipe away tears at his first job. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more sorrow. There won't be any more crying. There shall be no more pain. Why? The former things have passed away. The former things are gone. I like how the NIV says it. He goes, in the NIV it says, it's going to be a new order of things. Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Look at verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne, he says, behold, I make all things new. All things are going to be new. No more injustice. No more striving. No more abuses. No more theft. No more murder. (sighs) I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Look at this one, verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. What are you striving for? You have an inheritance. Do you know what it is? Everything. 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 Why are you coveting? Why are you worried that they got that and you didn't? It's called living like a spiritual orphan. Imagining that you don't have a dad who hasn't taken care of everything, who hasn't left you good things as an inheritance. So you covet and you clamor. Imagining you won't get pleasure then, so you try to get it all now. When you see somebody that's spending, they're blowing themselves out on drugs or spending their life on illicit relationships, it's an orphan mentality at the root because they don't believe in the eternal father that's going to bring them to perfect pleasure forever. So they clamor for all they can get now. Being a spiritual orphan in your mind causes you to destroy yourself in sin. He who overcomes has an inheritance. That inheritance is everything. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Do you you have any idea how good this is going to get? I don't know it all for sure. I mean, I'm looking at this going, whoa. But I promise you, the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus and the ages to come have to do with this. 
the Father dwelling with us, wiping away every tear, getting rid of pain, getting rid of death, getting rid of every abuse, getting rid of every injustice, and being a father. We're going to be his children, and it's all, all the veils, everything in the way, it's going away. called to be a kingdom of priests, but it's better than a kingdom of priests. It's kingdom of priests plus because you don't have just access to his throne. You have access to his emotions and to his heart and to his delights. That's what this is about. That's who you are. That's what seated in heavenly places is about. That's what fellowship with the holy is about. You have access to the emotions of God and I tell you he is doting over you. Forever and ever, he wants to show you the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness. Somebody said, well, we're supposed to, we're going to serve him. We're going to be serving God forever. And I, I won't even disagree with that statement because Revelation 22, 3 says, we will serve him forever. The problem is, what you think services and what God thinks services are completely different. <laughs> In your mind, serving God is running around like some butler or some slave doing everything you can do for God to make him happy with you. In his mind, serving him is falling in love and being a son. In his mind, servanthood is sonship. Servanthood is adoption. Servanthood looks like him putting the spirit of his own son in your heart by which you cry out, Abba. That's what serving him forever looks like. In his mind, it looks like the, the mutual exchange of love between you and God. Well, no, it says we're going to worship him forever. You know what worship is? You loving him, him loving you. <laughs> you love him. I love you, I love you. Because Oh, I love you. Some of us, we've strived our whole life to serve God. We're doing our best to serve God. We're going to try to serve Him to make you happy, God. We use verses like finding out what is pleasing to the, to the Lord, walk worthy of Him. We go, God, I got to walk worthy. I got to please God. Look, it's not like that. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit cries, Abba. You go, I want to be with you, Father. He goes, Oh, that pleases me. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He produces fruit in you. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, meekness, patience, temperance, and faithfulness. Those things are produced by the Spirit, not by your striving. Your striving will bring you to the end of yourself. Your striving, is, it's, it's got a purpose. You'll strive till you prove how broken you are. And then you die. And he goes, I was waiting for you to surrender. Let me, let me carry you. I'm trying to be patient. I've got a New Year's resolution. I'm going to be patient this year. Shut up. I'm being patient. <laughs> Three seconds in. Would you stop that? I'm trying to meditate so I can be patient. <laughs> you know what your New Year's resolution needs to be? Quit striving in the flesh and ask Holy Spirit to bring fruit through you. 
He will make you so patient. You'll be going, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm, this is, I feel patient. I'm not, I, I should be freaking out, but I just, I have a rest in my soul. Amazing how this God stuff works. So many of us, we're trying to serve him, to please him. And we imagine a worthy walk to be pleasing to the Lord has to do with something we strive in it. And I tell you, the worthy walk that's pleasing to the Lord is the walk that is surrendered and flowing in love. God takes pleasure in you. You know what the worthy walk is that's pleasing to the Lord? Is the walk that's surrendered and falls in love and that pleases him. It's not this striving thing. Most of our character teachings, I believe, are humanism. Trying to sharpen your character up. Let me help you. Your character is jacked up. It's broken. You need fruit from Holy Spirit. So many people have a hard time They believe they're saved unto service. And they completely miss the point that they're saved unto sonship. And they misinterpret service through their lens of an orphan mentality and they strive their entire lives never able to rest in the love of God. Never feeling safe and covered and cared for. Never feeling provided for. So they live their whole Christian lives as an orphan trying to get a platform, trying to get a title. If I could just do this, then they'd all see how anointed I am. Dude, you're already accepted in the fellowship of the holy. What are you worried about? You think I'm making it too good? No, no. Watch what Jesus said. Turn over to Luke 15, my fourth favorite verse of the day. Man, don't you guys love the Bible? Oh, I love the Bible. This is a good book. (laughs) They named it right. The good book. Luke 15, we know the story, prodigal son. Let me illustrate Jesus' explanation of what the father is like. Now, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Because all I ever do is what I see the father do. All I ever say is what I heard the father say. And then Jesus gives us the parable of the prodigal son to tell us about what the nature of the father is like. This is the one that you've been invited into fellowship with. The Father. Jesus gives us the parable to show us what the Father is like. Now you know the story. Two sons. One says, Father, give me my inheritance now. I want to go and do my life. And he goes and he gets the money and he goes and does his life and he spends it on riotous living, spends it on prostitutes and on on drinking and just messes himself up. And he ends up where he's got no money, no way to to provide for himself. And he's, he's taking care of swine which for a Jew would have been like, you can't do anything worse. And what he's, he's so at the end of himself, he's in the 
pig pen with the pigs. I mean, have you been around a pig lately? Those are nasty, nasty animals. And he's eating the, I mean, the pigs are eating the slop and he's so at the end of himself, he's so, he just wants to take a little, just a little snackle. A little snack of slop. A little smackerel of slop. I mean, just because he's so, he, he hasn't eaten. Face down, wanting the slop. He goes, what am I doing? I've got, ugh. My father's got all these slaves. He's got servants and slaves, and, and, and they're eating better than this. I'll just, here's what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll tell my father, I am not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Make me like one of your servants. Surely he'll at least give me a job and then I'll be able to eat. I love this story. He's got his, he's got his uh, plan. He's got his little, uh, you know, address ready. He's ready to recite exactly what he's going to say. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's memorizing it on the way back. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like a servant. 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 He's returning to the father and he's saying, make me like a servant. While he's yet a far ways off, the father sees him. And the father breaks into a sprint. A dead, I mean, I mean, just, he just, there he is! Sprinting. The father is sprinting after the pig slop eating boy who spent all his money and been with hookers. He's sprinting towards him. Son gets ready, gets his little, he gets his statement ready. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. That's actually a true part. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's probably right he didn't act like a son in the house. And the father stops him and cuts him off. He goes, kill the fatted calf. And let the celebration begin. Bring a ring. Bring a robe. My son, who has been lost, is found. The father starts the party before he can even finish his statement. And what's the phrase that he cuts him off from saying? Make me a servant. You know what so many people have done? They've turned to God. They've run to God. They've gone to God and said, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Just make me a servant. He goes, I appreciate that you're turning to me and that you know you've sinned against me in heaven. He goes, I'm not into more slaves. I'm into sons. I'm into sonship. I'm into relationship. I didn't make you so I could make more slaves. I didn't make you so I could have more servants. I made you so I could fellowship with you. And the father throws a party where there's dancing and singing. The other son hears the dancing and singing. 
You know who I think the loudest dancer, I mean the loudest singer and the most buoyant dancer was? The father. Zephaniah 3.17 says that. He rejoices over us with singing. The father, undoubtedly the son is out in the, the field. He's working and he can hear his dad singing over the whole crowd. Walks in and dad's dancing. Dad, what are you doing? Don't you know he spent all your money? You never gave me a, a goat to kill and eat with my friends? What's the deal? You know what the father says? Son, you've been with me. Everything I have is yours. You've missed the point entirely. The point is you've had my love, my fellowship. He didn't, and now he does. The father's running. He's running and, and, and jumping and dancing and shouting and rejoicing. The father is the running father. The father is the rejoicing father. The father is the father that throws parties. He throws parties and sings and dances and good food. Come on. That's the father. Who have you thought him to be? I'm saying this term, the fellowship of the holy, and you imagine it's, oh, I've got to be holy, got to be holy, I'm going to fellowship with God, got to be holy, 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 holy. God goes, hey, have a party, come on in. I mean, he's literally exciting and excited. He ran to him and cut him off and wouldn't even let him make an appeal to be a servant. You know what the Lord's doing to you? Running to you and telling you, stop that. Stop that with all that, you'll be my slave. Stop that with all that, trying to work for my approval. Stop that, you're trying to be a servant. And the whole time, I just wanted a son. Stop that, you can't work for this. I want to give it to you freely. Stop that, stop trying to get my attention. You have it. You're seated in heavenly places with my son. The father says, that's the best place I can give you. You can't get any better than this. You've already got it. Now stop striving for what you've already got. There is a far distance in our minds between the truth of who God is and how he thinks and feels about us and the way that we perceive him and the way we live. Oh, but he's changing that. He's going to bring us out of having a slave's mentality into having a son's mentality. Last thought. Somebody goes, well, what about Paul? He called himself a bond slave. He called himself a servant. What about that? Are you trying to say that you're not supposed to have a, a servant heart mentality, a, a servant mentality towards God? You know what a bond slave is? A bond slave is one who had been a servant 
has done his time as a servant and sells himself back to the master out of love. Puts himself into the service of the master because of love. A bond slave, you could just as easily put a love slave. Because he's been treated so well by that master. This is the way the, old, the, the mentality was in the first century. Those servants, they were indentured servants. They would sell themselves into slavery to pay their bills. And some of the, the masters they served were wonderful. And it was a better life than what they had before. And so they just said, I'm yours forever. <laughs> I'm yours forever. Because you're so good. And you're so kind. Paul the bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's you and I. The love slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything you say, Lord, because you love me so much. Amen. Stand. The Father loves you. He loves you so much. Jesus actually said all of heaven rejoices. They all celebrate when one sinner turns. Partying. The NKJV is funny on the prodigal son story. It says, they began to be merry. You kind of get in a picture like little leprechauns, like dancing little dances (laughs) in heaven, cherubs. The NAS says, and they began to celebrate. Celebrate good time, come on. I mean, it's probably more like that. Just go, I mean, they just go off. The Father celebrates you. He loves you. He never wanted to make you a servant. He always wanted to make you a son. He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. He's going to get rid of death. He's going to get rid of pain. He's going to get rid of injustice and abuse. It's going to get rid of betrayal. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. Simple call this morning. If you'd say, my primary approach to the Lord hasn't been as an accepted beloved son, but it's been as one trying to make myself a servant of God. I tell you, he wants to cut off your sentence and throw a party for you. He wants to celebrate his relationship with you. Or maybe you just say, you know what? I've got a a servant mentality that dogs me. Performance mentality that dogs me. I need to know the delights of the Father. Let's just take a minute. If you fit anything like that, or if this just resonates with you in some way, you say, I need a greater revelation of that. I just want to invite you forward. Let's just take a minute. Let's just pray.